Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained might just be. Hello, folks. Back another week here goes by. This is Rick Wagner getting it right here on KZZ KGLN. We're 1192.7 and uh, 98.980, excuse me, 980 and 101.3 and uh, the Internet and a few other places. So thanks a lot for joining us. If you're listening on the Internet, thanks for that. I'm surprised how many folks we got out there. I'm very pleased with that. But, uh, eh, you know... Especially when you tune in and this like another week, nothing happened, you know, just kind of just blah, 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 blah. Yeah, don't you wish that were true? Yes, indeed. Um, it's, it's just heartbreaking what had happened in Israel. We talked about that last week and, but now, I mean, it just goes on and there's a big debate in the United States, obviously, about how we should respond. I mean, what's the best response? For the United States. What's our interest? Well, I would suggest that our interest in Israel is a lot more strategically important to us than our interest in Ukraine, which seems to be unquestioned by about 80% of the people in Congress, or 70% maybe anyway. And so if they could articulate why one was more important than the other would be interesting to me. What we do have with Israel is we have the only friendly state, actual friendly state, in that region. And what you have is you have the Saudis who sometimes are friendlier than others, sometimes are not. So if we're interested at all in having any way to be involved in what goes on in the Mediterranean on that side, Israel's pretty much it. To say nothing about the fact that they've, they've been pretty good allies for us in the past. So you would think we would try and, uh, you know, be a little more in favor of them. I know many people I talk to are just shocked at the outpouring of just lunacy that we've seen from the left uh, in these protests. I am shocked by it too, but I also think there's a there's one bright side to it is if if you thought you understood how bad the indoctrination and propaganda that was going on on these college campuses was. I think that all of us know, see now it's worse than we thought. It's, I don't, I don't know how to put it. It is very troubling, even to people like ourselves who figured it was pretty bad anyway. Not only are they radicalized and appear to be extremely anti-Semitic in a lot of these campuses, but they're dumb. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. They don't know what they're talking about. We talked about that last week. You know, you got a country here that's uh, 85 miles wide, 290 miles long, and uh, it's pretty much been under constant attack since it was uh, instituted. And we were instituted in the sense that it was created, we'll say that, by the British Mandate 1948, the, the Balfour Doctrine. But then so was a lot of stuff in the Middle East after World War One, and then following up in World War Two. So... We've already discussed this whole thing with the Palestinians and whatnot, but a lot of people who have somehow gotten into some very expensive schools 
don't seem to understand any of that. They don't know it, and they don't care to know it. You know, it's sort of like the uh, difference between ignorance and apathy. I don't know and I don't care. Yeah, that's kind of what we see. What we want to do is we protest and go off on our government and Israel's government for reasons they really can't quite explain, except, oh, they're killing people. What about the killing that started the whole thing? You know, I mean, they didn't start this fight. It's it's really interesting. And like I said, it's... It's eye-opening. And we thought we had our eyes open to what the heck was going on before. Now, gosh. For those of you that are saving your money to send your kids to college, I'd be pretty careful about where I send them. Not just because you'd like them to turn out to be a little less brainwashed than some of these characters are, but you'd like them to have some kind of return on your investment, right? I mean, you'd like them to come back a little more well-informed and educated than they went. I'm not sure that's happening with a lot of these guys. You know, I, I see some of the product of uh, college graduates from time to time. It's not very impressive in terms of just your basic stuff. Spelling, syntax, word usage, stuff like that. So even at that most basic level, you need to check that you're even getting your money's worth out of that. Much less having your kids brainwashed to, uh, you know, hate or... Well, hate the country they're in, apparently, and support countries that hate us. It seems to me that there's that inverse relationship sometimes, is the more you are antithetical to the United States, the more a lot of these campus radicals support you. We've got a lot of problems uh, in the Mideast now, and we can't just turn our back on them because they're a little too big. And other people have talked about this thing with uh, Turkey. We, we don't hear enough about that, and we need to. Turkey in the past had been a quasi-reliable ally. But over the last seven or eight years, they have become more and more Islamified. They were much more secular before. And as that has happened, they found themselves drawn more and more not only to some of the more radical Islamic sides, but they've also cozied up to the Russians. Now, granted, the Russians are a little bit closer. Remember that they were sending drones built in Turkey to the Russians who were using them in Ukraine. That seems to be a little un-NATO-like, isn't it? And remember, Turkey's in NATO and have a lot to say about things in NATO. They're always popping off about something. And the other thing that's been brought up by some folks, and you may have heard it, but we have uh, an air base there. I think it's an Air Force base. And it has had nuclear weapons there for decades. Some of them are the older nuclear attack, you know, that you'd use for a bomber. They're not necessarily missiles and so forth, as I understand it. But they've been there for quite a while. And since they had this military junta and some disruption in uh, Turkey a few years ago, there's been a lot of talk that they don't want us to take those weapons out of Turkey. Now, and it doesn't seem because they want to protect Turkey, is that they want the weapons. And they've made noises, apparently, that they uh, are don't want us to take them out, and maybe they wouldn't allow us to take them out. I'm not exactly sure how they might stop that, but uh, it wouldn't be something we'd like to see. So these guys, and supposedly a NATO ally in Turkey, they are pretty much on the fence in terms of uh, who they're going to support at any, at any given time. 
and they're pretty key to the area. Remember, that whole region uh, of the transition from Europe to Asia across, you know, what's now where Istanbul is, and it used to be Constantinople and Byzantium and, you know, the uh, Hellespont, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's traditionally been that area, so it's, it's a, an important gateway through there. Plus, remember the Black Sea is only accessible by sea through that narrow strait, uh, by the Dardanelles and so forth. So they have an extremely strategic place, not only on the Mediterranean side, but also obviously the Black Sea side where the Russians need to be able to get their fleet out of the Black Sea if they need to. Having them as a NATO ally is a good thing, assuming that they're actually an ally. Not even sure of that. And they have uh, been calling on with our our own Anthony Blinken. The frightened, well, I won't say frightened rabbit, but I sort of like rabbits. Uh, Just this sort of not very strong person. The only time you would say he was a stronger person than someone in the room is if he's in with Joe Biden. They've, you know, now it's a ceasefire. Oh, you know, the Turks, uh, and they met with Blake, and they, they think there should be a ceasefire there. I mean, it's interesting how you have a heinous event, a heinous event, and then as soon as that's executed, then you immediately want a ceasefire. Other people have used this same example, but, you know, December 8th, you know, 1941, if we would have decided we should have a ceasefire, violence doesn't solve anything, uh, we've, we've got to put a stop to this. We should, we should start, you know, negotiating with the Imperial Japanese to stop this cycle of repetitive violence and war. I think that'd be a great idea. I don't think so. <laughs> and I can't imagine the country at that time thinking that it was. Now? I don't know. All right, everybody, we're back. Yes, and that, that's, you know, to know me is to love me, I think. Uh, I, there are some people who beg to disagree. <laughs> anyway, this is this is uh, the blitzkrieg of uh, crazy stories. Now, I try and gather up some of these stories from the week, and I would say this is that they are unrelated to an, each other. But if you think about them, they are sort of related to what the state of the world and our country is right now. If you just if you just kind of think about how they reflect the general attitude, degradation, and a probably loss of, I don't know, what should I say? The loss of pride. Yeah, that's it. There's a loss of pride in these countries, including our own, many of our own especially. And without that, how can you expect anybody to Wish the country well, or for God's sakes, want to fight for it, die for it. Remember our founders, our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. That kind of pride, not uh, not out there. Anyway, here's some stories. Here we go. Uh, I, wait, I have. I'm, I don't know where it's at. This is what caught my eye. Of all of the migrants, the illegal aliens, as we like to think of them. I'm not talking about the ones in the flying saucers that they've been uh, releasing the data on from the government. There's supposedly uh, 18,000 job openings in New York, New York City. They can't fill jobs. And a lot of them are not particularly, you know, they're not financial analysts. 
There are jobs that require, you know, fast food or, or all kinds of things like that. Probably a hundred thousand immigrants that they say that they're in here, the illegal aliens that have come into town, and they were trying to get authorization so that some of them could work. New York has been fiddling away with destroying the idea of citizenship for a while. So, with 18,000 openings, 2,100 of all those migrants have applied for work authorization. 2,100. And of all those tens of thousands that showed up there, you know, the ones that just want to work, just want a better life in the United States. Make that what you will. Here's one that seems, once again, not exactly, I think it's still the same. Scotland, first ministers, who's, you know, in charge of like uh, homeland, I think sort of, you know, it's like the home secretary in Great Britain, uh, volunteers their country to be a sanctuary for Gaza refugees. This is America should as well. Now, if you've followed some of this stuff about the, uh, you know, LGBTQ debates that we have in the United States and the transgender stuff, Scotland has been out there, weirdly enough, uh, in the forefront of that. So, in a strange way, this doesn't surprise me. But Scotland, if you're in Gaza, which is a pretty hot, kind of deserty place, you know, Scotland is not. What do you think Gaza refugees are going to do in Scotland? Which, by the way, has a pretty decently high unemployment rate. What's exactly going to happen? What What do you think is going to happen there? Now, wh- why should we also bring in people who we don't have any idea who they are? Of course, they don't have to come in the United States that way. They can just somehow get into Mexico and just walk in. But why would we want to do that? And why would Scotland want to do that? It's It's a lunacy. It's this idea that we have to constantly virtue signal. And Scotland's gotten way out ahead of this in a way that you would never expect from the Scots. I always think of the Scots as sort of being, you know, the, you know, like the, uh, the Coldstream Guards and, uh, all that kind of stuff, right? I don't think of them as, as being all of this huge progressive thing, but obviously I'm incorrect. Also, of course, Rashid Talib won't apologize for saying Israel bombed Gaza hospitals, speaking of Gaza. It's clear that that's that they didn't do that, but it doesn't fit into her narrative. So like the people before, there's a virtue signaling to be on the side of something that even if it isn't true, sounds good to you, right? And here's one that I, I wanted to get to because I have a really interesting uh, soundbite to play. Uh, Trudeau's Liberal Party, that would be in Canada, you know, the Great White North, eh? blocks a bill that would have prevented Canada from euthanizing the mentally ill. Now, for those who've been following this a little bit, Canada has sort of become one of the euthanasia destinations out there, outside of, uh, I think, Netherlands is another place, but uh, they've gotten pretty aggressive about uh, assisted suicide. I don't know what happened to Canada. (laughs) Remember, they used to be sort of the friendly Canucks from the Great White North, you know, that... uh, Sort of like us, but not really a little sort of, you know, more relaxed, perhaps. It's gone crazy up there. And so they have a, a new person, and I just have to let you uh, hear this person, who's, uh, he is, he's running for, uh, I, it doesn't really matter, but he is a politician in Canada that's running for office, one of the higher offices up there. And he gets cornered out in the, out in the sort of looks like a grape, vine area or something. That's what it looks like, but I doubt if it is. But he's eating an apple. 
He's very calm. And I want to play this fight for you. Some of you may have heard it because it's just great. And he's just out there calmly eating this apple. And it's a little easier to tell if you see it. But I think you can tell it just in with audio because he has the lower voice. And you hear the reporter asking him questions and hear what his answers or comments are to them. And it's just perfect. It's just you just want someone in the United States to start ask, you know, a politician to respond this way. He's not mad at all, by the way. He just continues to eat his apple and ask him questions. So here we go. Um, on the on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly, you, certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know this and that. Right wing, they, you know. I mean, it's that that type of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people don't pe- really believe in that. Okay, a lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. how, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the point say. of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know, not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also, talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms that. in terms of tur- turning things quite dramatically in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this. I mean, you 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 make quite a you know it's it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm I'm not sure. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. <laughs> I hope you could hear that. It's great, you know, because there, it, it, because so many of the talking points this, the journalist is asking, uh, and it, by the name, his name is Pierre Poulevre, and it's P-O-I-L-E-V-R-E, and there's several different ways to pronounce that, so I'm probably doing it incorrectly. There's, these same questions get asked to people all the time in U.S. politics, right? And they always bumble around and, you know, well, I don't stand for that. And he, he just wants, he is asking questions about their question because their question is assumptive, right? It, it, it just assumes certain things. It's like saying, you know, well, as a radical right winger, what do you think about this? And he's just not going to let that go by. And he's very calm about it. He said, you know, what people? <laughs> that's one of my favorites. People would say, because that's a common thing that you get with journalists who want to interject themselves into it. People would say, well, what people? You know, give me an example. And, well, I don't have anybody. Well, you know, you, 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 it's your question. You must know somebody. <laughs> and and it's it's very funny to watch this guy stumble around after the guy just is questioning him about, where'd you get the question? I mean, you know, give me an example. What page? What page out of Donald Trump's playbook? What are you talking about? And it's, you really wish American politicians would do that more often. I just I had to play it for you. If you haven't seen it, if you have, I, I mean, I've watched it two or three times, and I still can't get enough of it. <laughs> it just thinks, well, what? why don't we have people like that here a little bit more, you know? Well, let's get back to some news here that I wanted to bring to people's attention. Uh, you know, see how this stuff kind of weirdly hangs together? It's just it's a type of attitude and approach to governance and living 
that is dictatorial, that couches the idea that trying to appeal to what the majority of people want is somehow wrong, and that if people speak up about it, that's also very wrong. And there's a Democratic lawmaker in a state, I can't remember what it is, but he was talking about that parents should be uh, fined $5,000 if their children are out of control and take mandatory family counseling. The part about that, that I, of course the fine is ridiculous, and who gets to dis- decide what out of control is, is family counseling. What is that supposed to mean? I mean, we're, we're living in such a therapeutic society now, and I talked about this in the past. You know, they sort of divor, div, diverge into this idea that everybody needs some sort of counseling, right? Uh, which is just one step away from saying, you know, that everybody disagrees with me is crazy. And so they need to be counseled until they come around and agree with me. That's really, I think, what they're saying. And this is the message there, too. So I'm just highlighting this. All right, everybody, we're back. Thanks a lot for listening. We're here on uh, KNZZ, KGLN, 1192.7 and 980 and 101.3. And we have a lot of listeners on the Internet. And, of course, we'll have this as a podcast up for all you folks out there. And we're going to talk to a school board candidate. And here's why. Like I don't like I have to tell you folks, uh, take a look at the news lately. Uh, I mean, just this last two weeks. And if you think that things are going right in schools, and I don't just mean mean colleges, but high schools and so forth, uh, if you think that's going in the right direction for the country or even for the kids, uh, I just say maybe you're not paying enough attention. So these races are extremely important, and we're going to be talking to someone here that's from the essentially District 51, which is mostly Mesa County where I'm at, but a lot of you aren't there. All of Western Colorado and stuff. So there's, you know, there's other candidates, but you guys got to pay attention and get these candidates sorted out and make some decisions that's going to keep your schools from turning into something that you see on CNN. So to that end, we have uh, one of the candidates here for our District B school district here at Mesa County, which is District 51 for the most part. Uh, and it's Barbara Evanson and Barbara's running for, I think, I think it's B. B is in boy. Can we still say boy? I guess I don't know. Uh, is that a proper pronoun? I, I guess we'll know. Uh, so, Barbara, thanks a lot for coming to the show. Thank you very much for having me, sir. I appreciate your time. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out to do it. We just want to get the word out here a little bit. Ballots are out and uh, are going out, rather. And uh, so we want to make sure people you know, get a little information. And these kinds of races are hard to get information about. Uh, it takes money to get information out and an unpaid position and if you don't get a lot of support from outside of it, so you have to get out and beat the streets and maybe do a few things like this to get people to listen to you. And hopefully you make some yeah. converts who, uh, you know, get their friends to turn out for you. Uh, getting those ballots back is the important thing. So yes, you've lived here for a few years. You're a former Marine and a former law enforcement officer, uh, yes, which sir. is all uh, good for me. And you uh, you have some pretty conservative values, I think you were telling me before we, before we went on the air. And in, <laughs> yes, line, in, like in, in line with that, uh, and I also have been visiting a lot of the schools and so forth. So in line with that, uh, what do you want to change? So one of my last positions in the school, so I actually worked for District 51 right here in Mesa County. 
And I was a uh, security officer for the Orchard Mesa schools. Um, I worked for Mesa View, Lincoln Orchard Mesa, New Emerson, um, Dos Rios Elementary, Orchard Mesa Middle School, and White, or, um, I'm sorry, um, Gateway School, which is out in the Whitewater area. And during those two years that I was working in the schools, is Tim Leon saw, still is Tim Leon still doing the uh, running that? Yes, sir. He's still the director of, of safety and security okay, with well, the district. I know him in his with so, the city. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So during the time that that I was in these schools, I mean, I took that I took that job, and by the way, it was the best job I've ever had in my life. And I was thinking, it's my job to keep these schools safe. It's my job to keep these doors shut. It's my job to make sure that we don't have any, you know, threats, dealing with threats inside of the school. But it ended up being so much more than that. And I saw the struggles that these kids were dealing with, you know, at home, in their in their personal lives. Um, just just the the drama, the the amount of drama that social media was dragging into our schools and how our educational environment went from an educational environment to a drama environment. And these kids weren't even able to learn. They were so focused on all the things that were happening at home around them in their personal lives, you know, with other kids in school that they could they couldn't even focus and they were so distraught. And I want to see those things change. I want to see us, you know, develop relationships with these kids and their families and have our teachers, you know, having conversations with parents. I want our parents to be so involved because when we're not involving our parents, these kids don't have the support that they may or may not have at school. They're not having it at home. We're not, we're not having continuity of care. And I want, I want to see us keep not just the building safe, but 100% of our students. Well, we have a problem, don't we, where uh, you not only get the influence from the schools, but uh, probably even more so now from their, uh, from their phones <laughs> and their laptops. Absolutely. They're, they're getting inundated with things. It was hard enough when parents just had to worry about what they watched on television. Now, uh, it's it's incredibly difficult for parents to keep on top of what's happening on their kids' screens and Absolutely. what's happening there. And, of course, then you have to worry about what in the world they're being taught. Uh, so it's, it, the job is even greater than it used to be because there are so many access points you have to monitor as a parent. Absolutely. And not just as a parent, but also as an administrator or a teacher that's in the district, because we're currently allowing these phones in our school. And a lot of our education is based off of, you know, these Chromebooks that the kids are using. And they're using Google Chats inside and outside of school. And there's just so much tech. While I agree that technology is fabulous, it's also a catch-22, you know, it's being used to educate. But at the same time, it's also being used for social media purposes while the kids are in school and it's just absolutely distracting to them and just destroying their educational environment. Well, there's some lazy teaching that goes on with some of that stuff too. You know, um, you, you know, you can sort of keep people amused with that kind of stuff and get some benefit out of it. Also, unfortunately, the smartphones are getting smarter all the time. And from what I see, they're getting a lot smarter than our high school graduates. So, you know, they can be used in ways to, you know, so the children don't have to actually learn nearly as much. They can just ask their phone questions and so forth and then never really get down into the into the nitty gritty. You can ask something, 
to divide something and so forth. You never figure out how long division works at all, but your phone does. You know, so uh, it, it, people say, well, I don't really need to know that, you know. Really? So uh, if electricity goes out for a while, you don't have that phone, exactly what are you going to do on some of these situations, you know? Uh, that, that, and they don't think that. They, they've never they've never experienced that. doesn't even seem possible to them. I think that if there were a uh, oh an EMP and it wiped out the uh, uh, tower system for the cell phones and people didn't have access to that, I think there's a certain amount of people that would t- tend to go very nuts. Uh, they wouldn't know what to do. I don't know if they just stand in the, stand in the street vacantly, or if they would go crazy and uh, you know start trying to hook their phones up into potatoes or something else to uh, you know charge them up. But it would not be a pretty situation. And I don't think it's good for society to be so dependent on things like that, especially when it's a substitute for you know human intelligence or or human creativity, uh, which it is absolutely. And, uh, I absolutely agree. So we um, currently right now, um, you know, that's something that we're dealing with with, with our children is that uh, they were so used to, at some extent, using the computer. Like, uh, for instance, when our children would have to write something in school, they would use their Chromebook and the Chromebook would automatically give them a suggestion for the word or the grammar or the punctuation. And they didn't have to think. They didn't have to think, what kind of a sentence am I putting in here? Is this a, an exclamatory sentence? Am I asking a question? Am I making a statement or a demand? They didn't have to think about that because the computer did it for them. Mm-hmm. And they and they they weren't learning what they were actually writing. And if they put in a word and it would suggest another word, they'd just stick that in there, not even realizing what they were doing because, you know, spell check is doing all of these things for them. And they're not learning how to truly put the words in there that matter and how to develop a sentence and how to develop structure. So that's something that we've had to work with our children, you know, and we, we're not letting them use the Chromebook right now. We make them write everything out. We make them put everything into a full sentence structure and a full, full paragraph structure. But that was something that they were definitely crippled by um, when we started teaching them. Well, you know, the way this is going, uh, you get, you'll lose custody of your kids here in a couple of years, the way that, you know, by abusing them like that. <laughs> We just, uh, it's, uh, well, you know, the thing is too, you can learn a lot if something corrects something for you, as long as you understand why they, why it was corrected, right? It says, oh, this word works better because, but that's not really how the programs work. And I don't know if if you've used the new versions of Word, you know, Microsoft Word, but it has an editor function on it that after you've written something, even with the spell check on, it will go back through and edit it and, and highlights that stuff. It has a thesaurus built into it. If the word, you know, wants you to re- do something else, and it even has, and boy, this is really important. It has even has an inclusivity monitor, so uh, it will let you know if uh, some of the things you're writing uh, are are not inclusive enough or seem to be ex- exclusive oh. of other groups, right? And uh, which just frightens me to death when I see that creeping into, you know, into your home. <laughs> And so, I mean, I'm not sure you can learn a whole lot from that experience because there's no explanation about why it's happening. It just happens and they, it tells you this is a better way to do it. it. doesn't tell you why it's a better way to do it. And, uh, so you end up helpless in some instances. You know, it's, it's like never learning a language and using a translator on your phone. You know, I mean, you, you, you're essentially crippling yourself because you put yourself in a situation where you're relying on a mechanical device, and they are by their nature, mechanical electronic devices do not always work or function or something, and when they go down, 
Now you're in a situation where you're relying on that device and you have absolutely no fallback position. And right. that that's pretty dangerous in a lot of situations. But uh you know, when you're running for school board like you are, I'm you know, I mean I'm guessing you haven't got the endorsement of the teachers union. No, sir. Yes. Well that's pretty good then. But uh, the, I think the, I find that pretty good. I think a lot of our listeners will too. The up the downside to that is that there's a ready made pool of votes. And these the, they could just send out a suggestion to all of their members and this is our this is our person and they'll probably do what we want and you need to vote for them. They don't actually probably know anything about you. And so, so you have to get a, a certain amount of, of people involved just to meet that standard, right? Just to those built in votes. Yes, sir. So I do have I do know quite a few of the people that are on the MVE8 here in Mesa County because I worked with them. I provided security to them in the schools that they worked in. I provided security for them at school board meetings. So they do know me. Um, they know my name. They know who I feel like they know who I am. They might not know my full, my full values, morals, ethics, integrity. Um, but I feel like some of these people, these people do know who I am. And, uh, I mean, I, I hate to say it this way, but, if, if you are so dead set on aligning yourself with one group, if you're so dead set on giving them your, the power to take your vote and not to make your own educated decision, then I'm sorry for you. Well, so I feel true. that every voter has the right, every voter has the right to, to educate themselves, to make their decisions. But if that's what, if that is what our, our union is doing, then, then so be it. But yeah. I, 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 that makes me sad. There's a lot of, te- <laughs> there's a lot of teachers I know that, I mean, are in the union because they kind of have to be, but they don't agree with almost anything that is being done. So there's plenty of them out there that are not, you know, part of that. Uh, situation, but they do have to do a little education. And I, I guess I would say I'd go further that you don't just have the right to educate. You have a responsibility to educate yourself Absolutely. about people. Uh, because, you know, creating a functional republic, uh, requires that people have some sort of inquiry and basis for the decisions they make about policies and candidates. And if you don't, then you're surrendering yourself to people's judgment who you don't even know. And lots of people run for offices mm-hmm. and try and get powerful positions eh, for reasons that we might not like if we knew a little bit more about them. If if we're going to not have a educated policy, uh, public out there about an election, then we're going to get the uh, government we deserve. And I don't think we're going to like it. But I, I wanted to have, happen to talk to you, and I, I think there was one question I was going to ask you, and then I'll probably let you go here, is uh, okay. I, I ask you, what do you want to change? People don't usually take jobs unless they need the money, and since you're not getting any money, that isn't it, uh, because they want to have everything go the same way exactly. Now, some people do when they're put up by the people that are running the thing, but when you're kind of an outsider here, what do you want to change? What's what's one major change you'd like to see in the school district from your standpoint? So I sat in on a bunch of school board meetings. And I saw these parents that were coming in and I saw these parents that had medical situations going on in their lives and they almost depended on the public school system to be there for their kids. 
and to be teaching their children what they wanted. And right now, I know that you're aware that we have a significant declining enrollment in District 51 schools, which significantly affects our budget. Because where those children go, unless it's homeschool, you know, if it's a charter school, then that money follows them. So that money's leaving District 51. And we keep saying we don't know why these kids are leaving District 51. I do. <laughs> and, and I feel like I do, too. And I go to these forums, and I went to this one forum, and there was a lady there. And she had stage four cancer. And she trusted the district with her children until pornography got shoved down her kid's throat. Until she couldn't trust what was being taught to her children because not the curriculum necessarily, but different agendas were being put down her children's throat. And there were all of these other classes. And she's literally stage four cancer. And she withdrew her children and she said, I will teach them until the day that I die because I don't feel like I can trust you. Well, I think there's a lot of people that feel like that. You know, and, and related to that, I guess I do have an, another question is, I understand, I disagree with the uh, shoving down of uh, political narratives and that kind of stuff that we want to get the heck out of the schools, but I've never quite understood this recent phenomena of, phenomenon really, uh, of, uh, over-sexualized material and the uh, inappropriately over-sexualized material for age groups and this this incredible uh, you know push to to do it to keep it in and uh, have how hard some of these school boards and stuff across the nation hold on to put that in I'm I'm very uh, very confused by that Do you have any any idea why that's so important to them? I don't understand why that's important to some school boards or some districts. I, I, and I mean, and I, I'm assuming that you're speaking a lot about some of the materials that are in our school libraries. Um, yeah, just some I, of the I, class I, choices and the books they use in those, you know. I mean, I, I don't want to sound too prudish here, but, you know, I think there are age appropriate materials. I feel that there are, when it comes down to sexualized literature, I feel that our, and this is just going to be, I'm throwing it out there for you. I, and I, and I, everybody knows I feel this way that I've talked to so far. All the forums I've been on, I've made it pretty clear. I feel that our school libraries are there to support our curriculum. And if our curriculum has nothing to do with any of these things that we're seeing in our school libraries, then those books need to be gone. If we have a public library, it is, it is, it is their right to have what they want in that library. If they ban your literature, then they have a right to ban my literature. So the public libraries are a different entity, but our school libraries, we, we need to be, I, I don't understand what the push is to keep these in here. And I hear a lot of people say, you know, that, um, well, it, it's, it's a, it's an ideology that we're, we're removing the ability for children to make their own decisions. It's not the school's job to teach children about sex. It's not, it's, it's just not our job. We need to teach our kids how to read and write and do math so they can be successful in, in society and obtain jobs and be functional in our, in our society. It is not our job to teach them about comprehensive sexual education, which is inclusive of so many things. You know, I, I just don't understand why we're holding on to that I think it's and a, trying to maintain I, these sexualized literature in our, in our libraries. I think in a lot of places it's who's taken over the, you know, the teaching establishments to who's 
got their way into the educational upper divisions and then even in the in the, some of the teaching places not so much here but if you want to see a you know frightening pieces you know go to libs of tiktok on uh on youtube and look at some of the videos and they're just videos that people post <laughs> they put them out there for people to see and then notice how many of them are in the education systems uh especially yeah. the wild ones and the insidious ones in some situations so there's an agenda there. I mean, you can kind of get a flavor of it sometimes, but the, uh, boy, the craziness that goes along with it. You know, oh, you're burning books. You're doing this. You're, no one's burning books. And, you know, Not the, pur- the books. <laughs> purpose of the school library is just to do that is to support the curriculum. You know, that there are books that are adjacent to the ones that you're working on or secondary sources if somebody wants to look it up. I mean, it's not supposed to be, you know, a, a playground for uh, everything that you can think of and want to read about. Not that you can stop it. They're probably reading it on their laptops anyway. But, uh, you know, there's it, it, the the vehemence that these folks have about that particular piece uh, and that parents shouldn't have anything to do with it. Uh, I just uh, I haven't quite got there yet, so. Well, Barbara, I... And that's the thing I don't understand, like, ex- exiting our parents, like, pushing our parents away. You know, we say that we want our parents to be involved, but that's something that I've seen firsthand is parents not being involved, and I, I just can't, I can't understand that. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I feel about my child's education the way that I do. I want, I want this parental involvement. I want them to be involved. I want them to be aware. I want them to be a proponent for their children's education. we got to find ways to do that. we got to find ways to bring our community back into our schools. Well, if you let other people educate and make your kids who they are, then you better like the way they come. Uh, I appreciate you being on with us here, Barbara. I think you have a lot of a very good message. It's Barbara Evanson. If you guys have ballots laying out there, you know, put that up. She's running a, an unaffiliated situation, so, uh, but she sounds like a good conservative to me so far. You make your own decisions, but I mean, I would recommend that you make sure those ballots go out. None laying there. Proposition HH has to be voted down, too, just off the top of my head. But school boards are incredibly important now. Look at what's happening in the news. And, you know, it isn't all college students. There's high school students. And, you know, what are they learning or what are they not learning? Or, you know, it's uh, out of the old paper chase, right? You know, you come here with a head full of mush. Well, some of these guys are coming with a head full of mush, and they're leaving with more mush. So you got to have something to do with that. So thanks, Barbara, for listening to me talk. And giving people some information. So wish, Absolutely. Thank wish you, you sir. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. And everyone else out there, we're about done with the uh, show today. I appreciate your participation, and I appreciate your listening. And please vote and get involved.